1: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: Takes a shot, runs into the box, shot, score! It's time for Atlanta soccer Tonight. Tune in as Jason Longshore gives you insight and analysis on the beautiful game, including headlines from around the world of soccer. Rebound score! This is Atlanta Soccer Tonight, brought to you by Moe's Southwest Grill. Welcome to Moe's. Atlanta Soccer Tonight is on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Here's Jason Longshore.
2: kick it Atlanta soccer tonight live on 92.9 the game and the odyssey app i'm jason longshore welcome to our weekly show we cover soccer in atlanta lots of atlanta united talk we cover soccer all over the state of georgia all over the southeast plenty of things going on nationally as well we'll get you caught up on everything happening on mls decision day it's also some international action going on some international friendlies some world cup qualifying It's a busy international break going on right now, and we'll try to get you caught up on all of it over the next hour. But we're going to start with Atlanta United. Five Stripes back in action on Decision Day in Cincinnati on Saturday. Now, the kickoff time is going to be a little bit different than you might be used to. It is a 6 o'clock kickoff time, so kickoff should actually be at 6.09. Our pregame coverage here on 9829 The Game will start at 5.30 with the Five Stripes countdown. Uh, we will have a full-time report. It'll be a little abbreviated because we got to catch a flight back to Atlanta that night, and by the time we get on that plane, because all of the games in the Eastern Conference will start at the same time, we will know who Atlanta United will be playing in the first round of the playoffs. At this stage, there's still a lot up in the air when it comes to the Eastern Conference, and specifically for Atlanta United, they could finish anywhere between 5th and sixth and seventh and they could play three different opponents in that first round they can't get matched up with new england because of the way the numbers fall and if new england does get into the top four that means a team that atlanta can't pass will be in that fifth spot so they can't play new england they can't play cincinnati in the first round of the playoffs because cincinnati will play the winner of the wild card game they could play orlando they could play philadelphia and it could play Columbus. I don't really know where to rank what you want out of those three opponents. I mean, there's there's pluses and minuses for any of them. I think for Atlanta United, this is an interesting game because you know you're going to avoid the wildcard game where it's one and done. You know you're going to go into a best of three, and you know you're going to go on the road for the first game and the third game if necessary. These are things you know going into this match. You also are coming off of an international break. Some guys are getting back a little bit later than others. So, Gonzalo Pineda has a a real conundrum here, in my opinion, as to how he approaches this game. There's not pressure directly on the result of this game. There is pressure, I think, on the performance in this game. You're not going to turn around and play again on short rest. You're going to have at least a week, maybe a little bit more, depending on where you fall and where the games fall. So you can play guys 90 minutes here and not be worried about them struggling to play 90 again. You also don't have to rush guys back from international duty and play them 90 minutes in a must-win game. So this is a really interesting set of circumstances. But when you talk about Cincinnati as an opponent, You're talking about the team that has been the best in MLS this season. You're talking about a team that has cooled off as the year has gone on, but we saw it firsthand at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, honestly not that long ago, Cincinnati coming back to defeat Atlanta at the Benz. This is a very good team, obviously, with the supporters shield in tow. This is a team that likes to play in transition, and that was something that Atlanta United let get away from them in that game at the Benz. Possession is going to be very important, and I know and I'm hearing it when it comes to the U.S. Men's National Team. I've heard it over the years. I think there's a misunderstanding about what possession is and what it means. It's literally having the ball. (laughs) That's what it means. There's nothing more complicated than that. Teams can be possession-based and be non attacking, they can be defensive teams using possession, they can be very attack-minded teams using possession, they can create transition moments using possession. Possession is just purely having the ball, and I think in games like this, and the way that Atlanta United's built, you want to dominate possession, but you want to use it In certain ways, you want to use it sometimes to slow the game down. You want to use it sometimes to get Cincinnati frustrated. And most importantly, you want to use it to keep Cincinnati from doing what they do, which is getting out in transition. Had a chance to talk to Tristan Muyamba. He spoke to the media today after training in Marietta. Here's what he had to say about possession. And then I followed up with a question. Just about how things fit and how things go, and he kind of got into communication as well for the team. Here's Tristan Muyamba from earlier today.
3: Yeah, it's important because uh, we know uh, Cincinnati uh, um, like to play with transition with uh, with the, 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 the striker, the Acosta, and uh, every player. So they they like to play with transition. So. Yeah, we have to to keep the ball, to keep ba- balance for for if uh, if we lose the ball, and yeah, the the possession will be very very important. So we we like we, we love to to have the ball. So we need to to, to keep to keep keep it and uh, and attack uh, well when uh, when we have uh, opportunity. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah, yeah, we, we, we when we are not very well on, on the game, we just need to, to adapt. Okay, today we we are not so good, so just uh, keep the keep the block, so keep the ball and try to to keep the the good position. The, and sometimes we just need to to talk. Uh, I think a little bit more, and for for to to keep the balance and keep the 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 balance of the team, yeah.
2: I thought that second part was really interesting from Tristan, and and thanks to Tristan for, one, just being so willing to to do interviews and do media. Um, His English is very good, and, and he understands it really well. But that second part was really interesting. It wasn't just about my question about being tired. He said that when the team's not doing well when they're not playing well, that's something that I don't know, maybe is a a little unique to the soccer world and the conversation about how you manage games and how you manage moments. It's, It's a game where, yes, at times, you're going to struggle, whether it's because you're outmatched physically. It's a game where maybe you're outmatched in terms of technique, just quality of the opponent. You just don't have it sometimes and you're not able to play at your absolute best and the the fitness side and being tired factors into that you know there's gonna be games where you don't quite have your legs you don't quite have your best performance in you and having that awareness and I think this is a really important thing for Atlanta United and I think for any team that has that ambition to win a championship you've got to be able to adjust when you're not at your best and when you're struggling a little bit. And for Atlanta, the way that they will adjust will be to keep the ball and to communicate. And I think that's the key here is in those moments, you know, Atlanta wants to get out on the break. They want to attack. They want to create transition moments through their possession. They want to get the wingers high and get them getting in their 1v1s. But when Maybe you're gasping for air. Maybe your guys are tired. Maybe you've just been under pressure for a little while and you're trying to slow the game down. That's where the communication and everybody getting on the same page is key. And you can use the ball to do that and to dictate the pace and, and dictate the terms that you want to play the game on. This is something Atlanta United has to improve at. And I think they did really well in Seattle for a long portion of that match on the road where they used possession to slow the game down at times and to take the air out of the game. That's key. You're going to have to do that against the Cincinnati. You're going to have to do that against the Philadelphia, where, yes, you are looking to use your possession to break through their pressure. Absolutely. When that's on, it's on, and you take it. But you also want to use your possession to draw them out, to get them chasing, to get them running side to side, to wear them out, and then be able to create your moments to go forward. So possession can mean a lot of things. How you use it can be very different in different moments of the match. Now, I mentioned international duty. I think this is something that will play into how this game looks on Saturday. Sabo Janitsa was back at the building today. He arrived last night, kind of late, so didn't take part in training today, but he was in the building. Yorgos Yakamakis, Miles Robinson, Tiago Almada... They could be back as early as tomorrow or early Thursday, depending on flights and depending on time schedules. That trip from Buenos Aires, from Argentina, for example, Tiago might not land until very early in the morning on Thursday. He might be in the building on Thursday but not take part in training. Uh, Miles Robinson is playing right now in Nashville. That's not that far away. Um, he will be able to get back quickly and be part of the, the team, definitely for Thursday's session, probably in the building tomorrow. Yakimakis, I think, is supposed to be back in town tomorrow. I'm not sure the timeline, so we'll have to keep an eye on that. Now, two guys that are getting back later, I would assume. Caleb Wiley will be back next. He's starting tonight for the USU 23s in Phoenix. That game kicks off in about 15 minutes. So getting back from Phoenix at some point tomorrow, he might be in training in at least a limited capacity on Thursday. Luis Abram is going to be the latest arriving one. He is starting tonight for Peru. That game is just underway in Lima against Argentina. He won't be back until Thursday for sure. And just the question will be, how is he feeling by the time you get to Friday and you travel to Cincinnati? And if you don't have to use him on Saturday... Do you use him? We're gonna find out. Now the team has been training over this, this break in or the international games. They played a friendly behind closed doors against Juarez of Mexico. Gonzalo Pineda told us this morning that, that it went well. He got what he wanted out of that game. Guys got minutes, guys got to get a rhythm, guys who haven't been playing as much. And I think guys who you might have to count on either on Saturday or at times off the bench when you get into the postseason. Jay Fortune played in that game on Saturday against Juarez. He spoke to the media today. Here's what he had to say just about the competitiveness in training over these past few days.
4: Oh, it's been good. I think um, we all we all want the same thing, which is to win the MLS Cup, and we we all want to to play and stuff like that. And I think um, if when we push each other in in these sessions, and then when when the other talented guys that we have come back and everybody's flying at a at a high level, that when it's time for a game on a weekend, we're all ready to to be competitive and and fight for each other.
2: Depth is a good thing, and comp- competition in training is a really good thing for a team. And I saw that today, and there was a really kind of funny sequence that happened in the session today that was open to the media with Jay Fortune and Mateus Hosetsu. Josechu was fouled by Fortune. He grabbed him, uh, breaking up a play. Josechu wanted to be able to restart the ball. It wasn't the way they were restarting things. So Josechu was very animated. He was talking to Gonzalo Pineda about it during a break in the session. And then after they they finished for the day, Josechu and Fortune, it looked like they were having a great debate back and forth. (laughs) And it was funny because they ended up laughing and hugging it out. And other guys jumped in trying to uh, join the debate. Derek Etienne, of course, getting into the fray. It was very entertaining, but it also showed, I think, two things. The competitiveness of the group when it comes to their work, but also how closely knit this group is and how they can kind of have a go at one another in training, but then be completely on the same page at the end of it by the time they leave the pitch. Very, very cool to see. Coming up next in five minutes on Atlanta Soccer Tonight, we're going to take a look at Cincinnati. We're going to look around the Eastern Conference, the Western Conference, MLS Decision Day, and we'll get caught up on what might be final by the time we get to it, U.S. Men's National Team tonight in Nashville against Ghana. Hang out with us on Atlanta Soccer Tonight. We'll be back in five on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app.
0: Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Back to more of Atlanta Soccer Tonight with Jason Longshore on Sports Radio 92.9 The
2: Game. Welcome back. It's Atlanta Soccer Tonight on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. I'm Jason Longshore, and we are trying to make some sense of the MLS Cup playoffs in this segment. Get you caught up on what's going on out west, what the storylines are in the east. But we're going to start with the Supporters' Shield winners, FC Cincinnati. That's who Atlanta United is playing on decision day. Cincinnati's locked in. They're going to be the number one seed in the east. They don't really have anything to play for here, and... They've got some bad news on the injury front. Santiago Arias came back early from international duty due to a muscle injury. Now tonight, Mosquera, Yerson Mosquera, one of their defenders, he was subbed off from Colombia's scoreless draw in the 85th minute because of an injury. No updates as of yet. Cincinnati might take this game a little differently with those two potential absences. And if there's any question about either one of them injury-wise, they're not going to play on Saturday. Atlanta is playing for some positioning, but they might also be playing for what matchup they want when you get into the Eastern Conference playoffs. And there's a lot of moving parts, so that's not going to be easy to really map out. You probably won't even be looking at that until... 60th minute at least on Saturday And all the games should be roughly around that same time Barring any crazy first half Stoppage time situations I don't really know And Gonzalo Pineda is not going to tell you And he's not going to say anything publicly about it If there is one of the three Possible opponents that he would Rather see, you're not going to Provide bulletin board material this time of year For me Personally, I would love to see Atlanta have another crack at Philadelphia I really would. I think they were by far the better team in the home match this season in the regular season. And barring some really crazy referee situations and also losing your head, losing your focus, maybe because of said referee situations, the game in Chester, Pennsylvania, I thought Atlanta absolutely could have gotten something out of that game. I think Atlanta United would love to get another crack at Philadelphia, and that would be a playoff series definitely to watch. It would have all the drama. Columbus worries me. I I think Columbus is a team that could go on and win MLS Cup. I think Atlanta could go on and win MLS Cup as well. But Columbus, I think, is a more difficult opponent in that regard. Orlando, I don't really know, and it feels like it's been forever since Atlanta United's played Orlando. So I don't know really how to feel about Orlando at this point. They have evolved as the year's gone on. They've had a very good season. They're locked into the number two spot. I don't know what the feeling would be about an Atlanta-Orlando playoff series outside of the fact that those teams don't like each other very much and there could be some fireworks in terms of friction and drama in that series. And also, I know that Orlando at times has had a tendency to lose their heads in games. And in the playoffs, that can't happen. And we've seen it happen to Orlando before. And we've seen it happen to them this year in knockout game situations in the U.S. Open Cup against Miami. So stay tuned. I don't really know how I feel, but Philadelphia is the one that I would probably lean to as my preferred opponent. You guys have one. Tweet them at me at Longshoe and at 92.9 The Game. We can talk about that next week. We'll see if anybody got their wish out of the three possible opponents. Now, the decision day storylines, there's a couple things to, to keep an eye on here. And one thing, just the playoff format, just so you know if there's been any confusion because MLS does like to change playoff format. There is a wild card round between the 8th and ninth seeds. That's a one game. It's going to be on October 25th or the 26th, depending on the conference. Atlanta can't be in that. It's 8th seed versus ninth seed. 8th seed hosts. Beyond that, first round, best of three. Third game if necessary. Games go straight to penalties after 90 minutes plus stoppage time. There is no extra time played in these games. You can advance by winning two shootouts. And not winning a game in regulation. That puts you through. Somebody's going to do that this year. And there's going to be a lot of griping and a lot of complaining about it. But somebody is going to pull that trick off. Can almost guarantee it because it always happens in these situations. Everything past the first round, single game, higher seed hosts. We've seen that before. We've played through that before. You know how that goes. So my storylines that I'm looking at when we get to decision day on Saturday like I said, for Atlanta, I don't really know. I don't know how this game's going to play out. It's a weird game because it has meaning. You, It's not the last game of the year. You've got the playoffs coming, but it's not a game with pressure attached to it. So I'm looking for a good performance. I'm looking for some guys to step up and show that they have to be part of these playoff matches. Guys like Jay Fortune. Guys like maybe Ronald Hernandez. A guy like Juan Oparrata who might play in place of Luis Abram because of the international travel. Um, I want to see how Derek Etienne is another one. I want to see how these guys perform if called upon so Gonzalo Pineda has an idea of what he can expect from them in a postseason situation if they are needed. The biggest question mark on decision day around the Eastern Conference for me Will Charlotte get into the postseason for the first time? They have two games left. They play tomorrow, only game on the docket for tomorrow, in Fort Lauderdale against Inter-Miami. Then they turn around and get Inter-Miami on decision day in Charlotte. Now, the game tomorrow was the one that was rescheduled because of Miami's run in Leagues Cup. It doesn't sound like Lionel Messi is going to play in either game. He's not going to play tomorrow for sure because he is starting and playing right now for Argentina, In Lima, Peru. Does he turn around and play on Saturday on short rest when he's been banged up and this is the first game he started in a long time? I seriously doubt it. That's a good thing for Charlotte. Anybody else that's banged up probably won't play for Miami in this game or these games. That's going to help Charlotte. Can they get it done? Because if Charlotte wins both games, they're in. Not just they're in, they host the wild card game. And they would get in with momentum, and that's the key here. And I I thought it was a a really important point that Jessica Charman made last time we were talking about this, and I heard her say it today on SiriusXMFC on the the United States of Soccer. If you get in and you're Charlotte and you get in this way, you, you control your destiny and you win out, that's four straight wins going into the postseason. That's momentum. That's a team that feels like they can beat anybody, and they would, if they win the wild card game, they would then get Cincinnati. That would be the way to go in. We see teams get hot late in seasons. Can Charlotte do it? They've been maybe their best all year lately. They've won their last two games, yes against Chicago, yes against Toronto, by a combined scoreline of 5-0. Christian Latanzio, their manager, he felt like this was the best they've played all season. Karol Szwederski has been very, very good. Four goals, one assist in these last three games. He scored in the last three games. However, he played Sunday, 90 minutes for Poland, scored Poland's only goal in a 1-1 draw with Moldova. Latanzio talking about Szwederski said, I think he'll take part in the game. I don't know yet how. We will decide that together. In a perfect world for Charlotte, Schwederski's available on the bench You don't need him And you rest him tomorrow And then he starts on Saturday That's perfect world scenario They've got to get it done And other guys are going to have to step up To allow that to happen Other games in the East to keep an eye on here Montreal is at Columbus Montreal is in with a win They control their own destiny as well New York City hosts Chicago at City Field If Charlotte wins tomorrow night NYC is eliminated from the postseason Chicago would not be, but NYC, they've got to have Miami win tomorrow night to have an opportunity on decision day. The Red Bulls are at Nashville, and the Red Bulls are going to need some help to get into the postseason, and they're going to have to win in Nashville to get it done. Nashville can jump Atlanta when you talk about the Eastern Conference seating, So Nashville's kind of in that same situation. Who do you want to play, and how seriously do you take the decision day match to get what you want? Out west, Five teams are fighting for three spots. Three of them, Dallas, Portland, San Jose, they are above the line right now. Sporting Kansas City, Minnesota, they are below the line, and they play one another on decision day. Dallas is trying to tie the LA Galaxy for the second most playoff appearances in MLS history if they can clinch a berth. 20 appearances since MLS started in 1996, if they get in this year. It's not a guarantee yet. San Jose, Lucci Gonzalez, who was part of that Dallas history. Lucci Gonzalez could be one of only two coaches, Chris Leach is the other one, to get San Jose into the postseason in their first year with the club. Now that Sporting Kansas City-Minnesota game, that's going to be fireworks because a draw doesn't do anything for either one of them. So both teams need a win. This is a bit of a rivalry between Kansas City and Minnesota. It's going to be hectic, and they're going to be scoreboard watching as well because if Dallas, Portland, and San Jose in front of them all win, doesn't matter what Kansas City and Minnesota do. If one of them slips up, maybe two, then Kansas City and or Minnesota can get into the postseason. Two games that I think are message kind of games new england hosting philadelphia st louis hosting seattle st louis has got the the number one seed in the west locked up can they beat seattle to go into the postseason on a high st louis started the season on fire came back to earth a little bit have been very good in the last third of the year can they show that they are a contender by beating seattle at home New England is a team that, look, with all the craziness, all the baloney that's been going on in Foxborough with with Bruce Arena, with Richie Williams, with Clint P. A. now in charge, are they going to be able to right the ship and go into the postseason with some momentum? Now, New England's also got something to play for here. So does Columbus. They are jockeying for a CONCACAF Champions Cup spot. It's going to be awarded to the two highest finishing teams in the Supporter Shield standings outside of the respective conference leaders, Cincinnati and St. Louis. They've already got their spots. Philadelphia has already earned qualification through their third-place finish in Leagues Cup. Orlando has locked up one of those spots. The other one is going to go to Columbus or New England. But maybe, possibly, if both of them drop points, LAFC could jump them and get into that spot. Now, just went final in Nashville, the U.S. men's national team. They won 4-0 over Ghana. Miles Robinson started two first-half goals for Gio Reyna. He came out at halftime. Christian Pulisic scored from the spot. He came out at halftime. Fuller and Balogun also scored what a turn from Balogun on his goal. He came off at halftime. Ghana wasn't very good, number one. They, they didn't put up much of a fight. Uh, The U.S. looked very good for 45, and then the game's gone at that point. And and this is kind of how I thought the game against Germany went to a a lesser extent. The U.S. was very good for 30, could have been up by more than one. They then were not very good on either side of halftime, and Germany got three. When it got to 3-1, I I thought the game kind of fizzled out. The problem for the U.S. in that is... You can't let it get away from you, and it very well could have. Germany could have put up uh, quite a few goals on the board with how things got sloppy late. When it gets to that 3-1 and you're on the ropes and you're struggling at that point, you've got to show that you can just tighten things up, keep the game at that stage, and maybe try to find a counter to get back into it. That was something that the U.S. did not show they were capable of doing against Germany. Now, they showed against Ghana the power of getting multiple goals when you're on fire, and this is what they needed to do against Germany. If you got a second goal and you were up 2-0 against Germany, I don't think that game finishes, obviously it doesn't finish 3-1, but I don't think Germany wins it. When you have opportunities, you have to put them away. That is a key, and that's essential for this U.S. team that is young, that is still finding their confidence level. We'll see if this Ghana game has any long-term effect on it. One thing to keep in mind about the game against Ghana, three goals in the first 22 minutes. That is the fastest the U.S. men's national team has scored three goals against a non-Concacaf opponent since at least 1931. I don't think Opta goes back any further than 1931. That's a good response to a not-so-good result from the weekend for Greg Berhalter and the U.S. men's national team. Now, coming up next on Atlanta Soccer Tonight, three local stories, four headlines, three things that make me smile about this game that I love so much. It's the 343. Three. It's up next in five on 929 The Game and the Odyssey app.
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medella is your reward. Medella, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crownland Port, Chicago, Illinois. It's time to wrap up tonight's show with the 3-4-3. 3-4-3. Three Three local stories, four headlines from around the world, and three things that made you smile about the game. Atlanta Soccer Tonight is on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game.
2: Welcome back. It's Atlanta Soccer Tonight on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. I'm Jason Longshore. Thanks for hanging out with me tonight. Y'all know by now how we finish the show. It's the 3-4-3. I'm going to add a 1 to that because one thing I didn't mention talking about the U.S. men's national team and their match tonight, Timothy Weah is an absolute game-changer for this team. He didn't score a goal, but he was so important for this team. I thought he was at the World Cup as well. A lot of talk about Gio Reyna, always going to be a lot of talk about Christian Pulisic. Many others in this team do not sleep on how important Timothy Wea is for the U.S. men's national team. Now, three local stories. That's how we start the 343. Three. Number one, Abby Bats, a name you need to know. She's on UFA's ECNL team. She was called up for Brazil's U-17 national team camp for upcoming friendlies during the women's international break. Congrats to Abby. Congrats to everybody over at UFA who just keeps producing big-time talented players, especially on the girls' side. Iggy Malika doing an amazing job and his coaching staff up at UFA. On the college side, we're going to move there for number two. Georgia State forward Alondra Nieves is your reigning Sunbelt Conference Offensive Player of the Week. She scored three goals last week, including a two-goal effort to lead the Panthers to a road win at Marshall. She wasn't the only local conference player of the week, though. UGA redshirt freshman midfielder Summer Denigan she was named the SEC Offensive Player of the Week. Denigan continued her strong first season in Athens with a match-winning goal at Tennessee on Friday night. We're still not done. The Peach Belt Conference announced Women's Soccer Players of the Week on Monday. Both of them from Clayton State, the Lakers representing. Carrie Consolino was the Player of the Week. Daniela Gularte was the Defender of the Week. It's the first time that Consolino and Gularte have been named a conference player of the week during their time at Clayton State. We're still not done. Let's go to D3. Emily Woodall, she recorded her first career brace as Emory played number two Carnegie Mellon to a 3-3 draw on Saturday afternoon. Woodall scored Emory's second and third goals that gave Emory a 3-1 lead at the time, She was named the University Athletic Association Player of the Week on the women's side, and we're still not done. We're not done with Emory. UAA Player of the Week on the men's side was Alejandro Gomez. He scored twice and had an assist. Emory went into the week ranked number three. They come out of it. Ranked number seven, they went 1-0-1. They tied against Oglethorpe. We talked about that last week, a 2-2 draw. Gomez started the comeback, scoring late in the first half. And then they beat Carnegie Mellon on the weekend, and Gomez had the game tying goal before assisting on the game winner as they came back to win 2-1 over the Tartans of Carnegie Mellon. Number three on the local side, Not a local school, but a local product, Garrison Tubbs, a product of the Atlanta United Academy. He was named the ACC Defensive Player of the Week for helping Wake Forest notch back-to-back clean sheets. Garrison Tubbs is one of those guys. He's going to get drafted, in my opinion, in the MLS Super Draft if he doesn't sign a homegrown contract with Atlanta United, who will have that option first before he goes into the Super Draft. Tubbs has had a really good career with the Demon Deacons up in Winston-Salem. I'm not sure if he's ready for MLS play yet, but he's a very interesting prospect. So keep an eye on Garrison Tubbs and the potential of him signing a homegrown deal with Atlanta United. Now, four headlines from around the world. We're going to stay a little bit closer to home this week. Michael Bradley's number one. The announcement of his retirement came today. Not a surprise at 36 years old. He will be retiring after a 20-year career. Yes, 20. He was the last active player who suited up for the old Metro Stars, the precursor to the New York Red Bulls. Played for them when he was 16, when his father, Bob Bradley, was the coach. Went to Herenveen in the Netherlands in 2006. Played in the Bundesliga, Borussia Mönchengladbach. Played in the Premier League, Aston Villa played in Serie A, Chievo Verona, and Roma, and then came to Toronto. And what Michael Bradley did in Toronto, I think, honestly, with what you've seen from Toronto as of late, it stands out even more what he did in Toronto. Going there, winning an MLS Cup, winning the Eastern Conference three times, winning the Canadian Cup, the the equivalent to the U.S. Open Cup, won that four times, the Voyagers Cup, Two times in CONCACAF's men's best 11 overall, 300 Toronto appearances, 151 caps for the U.S. men's national team, 17 goals for the U.S. MNT, including that goal in 2017. If you haven't seen it, go find it at the Azteca, one of the best goals I've ever seen a, a U.S. men's national team player score And Bradley ends his career third all-time behind Tony Tony Miola and Carlos Bocanegra in games captaining the U.S. men's national team. I've talked about it before. I'm not going to harp on it. I I got frustrated with the consistent booing of Michael Bradley for years after the U.S. failed to qualify for 2018. Josie Altidore got some of it as well. It was... Ridiculous because they were not the cause of the U.S. not qualifying for the 2018 World Cup. They weren't even the cause for the loss in Trinidad and Tobago on the last day. They were part of the team, yes, but there were other members of that team who did not get the vitriol that those two got. And I don't care that Bradley wore the captain's armband. He didn't deserve it. He's one of the best ever players for the U.S. men's national team, and I hope that he can be recognized as such, and I hope people's whatever grudge they've held about it for years and years and years, I hope that goes away because Michael Bradley has done a lot of very important things for the U.S. men's national team program, for the the federation, and just for doing the right thing and being a good captain, being a good leader, and being outspoken about things that he thinks are right in the world. I've been really impressed with Michael Bradley as a player. I've been maybe even more impressed with how he has carried himself through his career, and I'm very curious to see what he does next. I want to see if he goes into coaching like his dad did. Very curious to see what's next for Michael Bradley. I don't think this is the last time we're going to hear about him. He will finish his career on decision day playing for Toronto. Let's jump over to the NWSL. Updates as they finish their regular season on Sunday. Decision day in the NWSL was a lot of fun, by the way. The last the, the last 45 minutes, the second half of all the games, total chaos, especially the first 10, 15 minutes. Felt like goals were being scored in every game, just flying in. San Diego Wave, they won the NWSL Shield, the best regular season team. Portland, they got blown out on decision day, but they finish second. Angel City, they get into the postseason because of that blowout over Portland. 5-1 winners. Angel City, first ever playoff berth. They finished 8th last year. 5 goals, 5 different goal scorers, one of them a bike from Sydney LaRue. That was absolutely outstanding. Megan Rapinoe had 2 goals for O.L. Reign. That earns them a home quarter final. Now, here's what's next in the NWSL. Postseason kicks off on Friday. O.L. Reign Number four seed, they host number five Angel City at Lumen Field, 10 p.m. Eastern time. That's on Paramount Plus. On the East Coast on Sunday, North Carolina Courage, they're the three seed. They will host Gotham FC Sunday, 7 p.m. That's on CBS Sports Network. San Diego and Portland, they got buys into the quarterfinals or through the quarterfinals. Portland will host the winner of North Carolina and Gotham. San Diego will host the winner of Rain and Angel City. Both of those will air on CBS Sports Network in early November. Now, also today in the NWSL, Mark Parsons was let go by the Washington Spirit after they missed out on decision day. Quick South American World Cup qualifier update, number three on the headlines. Venezuela, they have turned everything on its head. They drew in Brazil last week. That was the first blemish on Brazil's home qualifier record in a long time. They follow that up, the Vinotento, with a demolition job at home today over Chile. 3-0. Jefferson Soteldo had a goal and an assist. I don't know if he stood on the ball and started any brawls. I don't think he did. Soteldo leads Venezuela. They pick up four points this week. Big time moves here for the Vinotento. Paraguay, They needed points. They got it. A 1-0 win at home over Bolivia. That's final. Ecuador, Colombia, Ecuador hosted. That finished scoreless. That's final. Uruguay hosted Brazil in Montevideo. Uruguay won 2-0. Brazil only one point in two games. And Neymar was stretchered off in tears late in the first half when he was injured, came out of the game, replaced by Richarlison. Maybe issues in Brazil. Carlo Ancelotti might need to get there sooner rather than later if that's going to happen. Also, final game in South American World Cup qualifying. It is late in the first half, and Peru and Argentina, as I get a score update. It's actually at halftime. Argentina went off at the end of the half. It was scoreless while we were in the break, and wouldn't you know it, that man, Lionel Messi, two goals in ten minutes. 2-0 Argentina at the break. So your South American qualifying standings as we stand right now, if that result holds, Argentina will be five points clear at the top. Uruguay, Brazil, Venezuela tied for second on seven points. Colombia in fifth place on six. They would qualify from there. Ecuador in sixth place with four points. They would qualify. Paraguay's win gets them into the playoff spot because, remember, Expanded World Cup, more spots for South America. Chile, Peru, and Bolivia are the ones on the outside looking in. Number four on the headlines, USL Championship playoffs kickoff on Saturday. Detroit City, El Paso, they got the last two spots last weekend. Pittsburgh finished best in the East. Sacramento finished best in the West. Three points behind Pittsburgh for the overall Shield win. And our old friend Steven Glass, he earned a number four seed in the East with Memphis 901. They will host Louisville in the first round. Kickoff at 6 30 on Saturday night. Three things that make me smile about the game. That's how we close out the AST every week. Number one, Nick Fermino. He gets his first team contract today. It was announced. Had a chance to see him in training, smiling from ear to ear. I wanted to play this clip from you for you from a Johnny Fortune. Who spoke to me after training about Nick Firmino signing and what it means for the team?
4: Yeah, I mean, after the year he's had, um, he's deserved it. Uh, I think uh, I'll probably go inside now when I see him again and just tell him congratulations. I told him earlier, but um, he he had a great season, and when you when you put up numbers like that, you know, it, he he did his job, and I think the it's very easy transition because he's he's been training with us for a little bit, and we know him well. I know him well, so I think we'll. We'll get along well, and you know, as as you can see, he's able to score goals. He's able to to play in different positions in the midfield, and um, I think most importantly, it brings competition as well to the middle of the field, uh, which allows me to get better, allows him to get better, allows all of us, which is which is the best thing.
2: We will have Nick Firmino tomorrow on stoppage time, two o'clock on the ninety two ninety the game Facebook page. Number two on the things that make me smile in the game: Minnows having success, San Marino. They scored. They hadn't scored in years in a competitive game. They actually scored a goal today. They tied Denmark 1-1 when they scored it. Denmark found another one to win 2-1. First goal in a competitive game for two years for San Marino. And then for Pakistan, they won their first ever World Cup qualifier today, beating Cambodia 1-0. They advance to the next round of Asian World Cup qualifying. Number three on the things that make me smile, Shayna Matthews. She retired as a professional player on Sunday when the Chicago Red Stars were eliminated from the postseason in the NWSL. Shayna Matthews started her career uh, the same place I started playing soccer uh, many years after I did in Clayton County with the Clayton County Soccer Association. She went on and played at Lovejoy High School. Shayna then played at Vanderbilt before transferring to Florida State, where she was a powerhouse in the NCAA game. She started her pro career in 2016, finished her career with Chicago on Sunday. She also played in two World Cups for Jamaica. She's done all of that and is a mom to three kids. Shayna is an inspiration to anybody out there. On her Instagram, she said, I'm just a kid from Clayton County, Georgia with a dream that worked out. You can truly defy any odds, work hard and believe in yourself, treat people well, never stop learning, and take care of your body. And I wanted to finish with Soleil Washington, somebody we've talked about quite a bit, senior at Chambly High School, was on that Jamaican World Cup team this summer. Soleil responded to Shayna's Instagram post and said, best mentor, I'll miss you so much. Shayna Matthews, one of the greatest ever players from the city of Atlanta, from the metro area, retires as a professional this week thanks for hanging out with me tonight stoppage time tomorrow Nick Firmino will join Mike Conti and I two o'clock 92 90 game Facebook page five stripes countdown on Saturday five thirty start time kickoff just after six on decision day in Cincinnati we'll have that abbreviated full-time report before we get on the plane and head back home and then I'll be back with you next week 10 o'clock Tuesday Atlanta soccer tonight thanks for listening adios everybody